Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. So the trick about having a, a product mindset is it's not about the product. It's about whoever is using that product. So really at the forefront of this is uh, a human-centered thinking and taking the perspective of your customers, of your um, employees or the talent you're trying to recruit. So it's really about obsessing that other person and stepping away from your perspective. So from your own organizational mindset, your own role, and really thinking about what is it that this product or service or thing that I'm designing for someone else is solving for them? Like what pains is it alleviating? What are the gains they're getting? Uh, what are the wishes that are being fulfilled? So it's really about the other person. Ahmed helps customers to transform, reinvent, and grow their businesses. By taking a human-centered approach to innovation, he creates great customer experiences and solves wicked problems. Ahmed has done this for the past 20 years with companies such as Google, SAP, General Electric, and various startups. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. And as you know, by now, one of my favorite things out of this show is the possibility for us to learn from people that are everywhere in the world. And that really is an incredible testament of number one, the possibilities that technology are uh, is open up, opening up for us, but at the same time of how this community is more interconnected than ever before. So I am very pleased to welcome Ahmed from, uh, he's in Germany right now. Ahmed, how are you doing? I'm fine, Enrique. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining. I am super excited about our conversation. And I, I want to begin by asking you this. You've been working a long time in the product development, uh, product management space. And very often we don't think as product managers or product developers in the HR space. How can we develop that mindset in HR? How can HR practitioners, HR leaders develop the mindset of, you know, designing a product, testing it out, prototyping, getting feedback, scaling it up if it works and if it doesn't, changing what needs to change. How can we embrace that mindset? So the trick about having a, a product mindset is it's not about the product. It's about whoever is using that product. So really at the forefront of this is uh, a human-centered thinking and taking the perspective of your customers, of your um, employees or the talent you're trying to recruit. So it's really about 
obsessing that other person and stepping away from your perspective. So from your own organizational mindset, your own role, and really thinking about what is it that this product or service or thing that I'm designing for someone else is solving for them? Like what pains is it alleviating? What are the gains they're getting? Uh, what are the wishes that are being fulfilled? So it's really about the other person. So uh, building up empathy is a great way uh, to get there. I, I love that. And, you, you know, people people in my show and in the work that I do in HR, they sometimes may think like, well, Enrique is always attacking HR. But that's that's not really true, right? What I'm, what I'm trying to do is raise awareness of the way we are in HR and the fact that more generally than not, we don't really think as product developers with empathy and thinking about our users. We just design something and put it out there in the internal organizational market and force everybody to behave in the way the policy or the system that we're designing is telling them to, to behave. But we need, of course, a, a, a complete shift because people are behaving differently. People are, you know, they have different demands and now they want more personalized services. So if we're able to better understand them, we are going to be better able to serve them uh, in the organization. And I want to ask you, right. what, what a great product developer, a great product manager, what do they have that makes them great? What are their characteristics? So I think what makes them great is, again, starting from the customer's perspective, starting with the, the end user in mind, so taking a different perspective than their own, but also looking at the development and the use of the, the product end-to-end. -end. So that means not looking at it in terms of different silos and different specialties, but actually seeing how the value is created across the whole chain, not just in developing the product, but also in raising awareness for it, communicating it, uh, rolling it out in, in servicing the customer after uh, getting the product. So all of those things are combined. So what makes a, uh, what makes a great product person is uh, thinking about the whole thing end to end mm -hmm. and doing it from a customer's perspective. Um, that being said, uh, another um, attribute a product person needs to have is the ability to cross these different specialties, these different silos to make sure that people always have the, the end goal in mind. So you just mentioned HR and, and what you mentioned as a challenge is typical for any part of the organization. We all get our annual goals and, and individual uh, goals um, from the perspective of whatever role or function we're in. So that's a very siloed in mentality. The, the better perspective to take, and I think the question to ask is, how does what I'm doing fit into the bigger picture? Like, how does it, how, how does it actually help the customer, the, the user of my product in the end? Um, so a great product people are able to, to bring that picture together. I, I love that. And that, of course, tells me that we have a mandate in HR to be better at understanding other areas that are not HR, but at the same time to collaborate with leaders and practitioners in other areas that can help us see through the entire life cycle of whatever product we are trying to put out there. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, 
mandate once again, you know, for HR to be able to get out of their own silo and start considering that they are not just, um, you know, a standalone function, but they belong to a business that has many moving pieces, right? Right. And I think ideally HR is, is actually one of the most critical, if not the critical um, function in an organization. Now, in reality, that's not the case. But if you think about what modern companies are doing, what um, you know, uh, knowledge uh, uh, workers are doing and what the, the IT industry that is really uh, accelerating the, the change uh, is is about it's about uh, people's minds so um, if you take a company uh, like aws for instance yes there's a certain infrastructure but it's really about the the people uh, behind all of that and uh, hr as the function that is taking care of the people and their development and uh, their their alignment um, is actually uh, one of the functions that is providing huge value but a lot of times it doesn't have that strategic positioning or that, that perspective. And how, what can we do to, to, to be better at that? What can we do to be better at developing products that number one, makes sense for our customers, which, is, which are our internal employees, but to be more strategic in the development of those products, what, what is it that we're lacking that we need to develop in order to be effective at, in doing that? I think first there needs to be the perspective that, this is actually the case. If you look at a software company and take away uh, the computers they're using and uh, the offices, um, you're only left with the people. Like yeah. there's, there are no other assets. People are the asset. So uh, yes, data may be the, the new oil, but without data scientists who can actually dig it out, you're not going to be able to do anything with it. So really first taking the perspective that HR is actually a critical function and then looking at, well, what makes it critical, uh, I think is a good step forward. And, and to me, it's uh, on the one hand, obviously bringing in the right talent and that's yeah. a hugely difficult and, and very costly task. Uh, a lot of times it's not really done well or with the, uh, both the talent and the organization in mind. And uh, the other aspect, of course, is making sure that this, this asset can grow and can, uh, can also move the company forward. So a lot of times, individual growth goals and the, the company goals are not really aligned well. And that's the, one of the reasons why people leave at certain points. Uh, absolutely. I, I want to ask you, I know one, one area that you are very passionate about and you put a lot of energy into into doing it effectively is people enablement, how, how to truly help people thrive and flourish at work. And I want to ask you, I want to combine what we were talking about before about product development with enabling people. How can HR embracing a mindset of a product manager or a product developer can help, can better help people to thrive and flourish at work? So I think in developing um, trainings and, and learning and development uh, activities, the key thing to ask is what is the outcome I'm, I'm trying to get at? Like what is the, the pain I'm trying to solve or the gain I'm trying to achieve? So really approaching it 
as a product and whoever is the learner as the, the customer or the, the user in this case. A lot of times what happens in, in training is uh, you get, especially in virtual training, uh, you get a lot of um, fancy visuals and mm. uh, interactive formats that on the surface look really nice and they are, they are designed well, no doubt about that. But then you look at what they're trying to achieve and maybe um, a Word document with a few paragraphs would have, would have had the same effect. So the question really is uh, making sure that whatever the outcome and the, the goals of the learner are, are achieved in the first place. And, and then thinking about what the product needs to be that delivers that. So I think that's one uh, to really approach it, approach these, uh, um, these things as, as products. Uh, I think the other, um, the, the other uh, key factor to keep in mind when you're looking at learning and development is you're dealing with adults. So they're not, um, they all have their own goals, their aspirations. And uh, yes, there are certain things that need to be uh, taught in a company for compliance reasons or for various other reasons uh, to have in-house certifications, for instance. Uh, at the same time, uh, these people have their own goals, their own visions, and uh, it's rare that whatever uh, the, the corporate training and development function has in mind is really aligned well with the, the growth aspirations of the individual. Um, so, um, you know, ideally, uh, both the growth uh, aspiration of, of an individual and the, um, the organizational goals should be aligned. But that's not always the case. And I feel uh, a lot of times there's, there's a sense of um, glossing over this and, and not really uh, respecting that it's at certain points, people will either grow out of their role or out of their organization and then just, just leave. So uh, respecting that, I think, uh, is akin to when you're building products, respecting the fact that uh, the, the person is not going to use that product for everything. And at some point it's going to, he's going to throw it away and maybe get a different product or a, an updated version. So really thinking in terms of cycles, uh, I think is, is uh, another, um, uh, another good perspective to take. Um, and finally, um, in, in approaching learning and uh, development, what I find is a lot of it is, seeing as separate from the goal itself of, of the activities they're supposed to enable itself. But what I find works best in practice, and, and I think um, people who are in, in learning and, um, um, and in educational research uh, would agree with that, is uh, you learn by doing. So, um, so a lot of the corporate trainings or, or the um, uh, also individual third-party trainings that I attended were dumping knowledge and, and trying to make sure that um, a, a lot of information can be transferred in a very short am amount of time. So it was a very transactional uh, process. But the, the best experience um, that I, that I had personally, uh, but also the best results that I've seen is in uh, a closer um, apprenticeship or rather uh, learning on the job. So, um, and there are different terms for this uh, from just-in-time learning to, um, uh, I know your audience has, has, has probably um, 
uh, knows these terms better than I do. Um, but but learning by doing whatever it is you're trying to do uh, to learn is, uh, I think, the the best approach. And and very few um, training programs are geared for that. So uh, the the best programs I've seen had various elements supporting that. So from mentoring to shadowing someone else on the job to reverse shadowing. Uh, to um, going through simulations, there are, there are different ways of, of approaching this. Uh, and I know it's more costly because it also pulls people from their day-to-day uh, -day job uh, to some extent, more than a simple um, virtual training would do. Um, at the same time, it's not something that's done um, just over a day or two, but something that accompanies you th throughout your um, day to day. Yeah. Um, so that can be dropped it at dropped in at any given point. So, um, so really thinking about, um, training as something that is part of the job and not, uh, something that is an, an extra or, or that is separate from it. I think that's a, um, a third perspective to take. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned before about thinking in, in HR in terms of cycles, and I, I especially love that idea because it tells me that innovating is not enough. You have to embrace the mindset of innovation because if you innovate in one cycle and that's pretty much it, you don't do anything else, then you are pretending that that cycle will be alive or relevant or valuable forever. And that is absolutely not true. So I think it's so important for HR people to understand that Innovation is important, but embracing the mindset that allows you to innovate is even more important. So I would even add to that and say, it's not just the innovation mindset you need to take, but it's it's really focusing on experimentation. So a lot of times when people are trying to innovate in, in a certain area, so in HR, for instance, in, in building a new uh, training program, um, there's a thinking that, well, whatever the outcome of this is, is going to be the innovation. So there's a whole design and product development process behind it. Yeah. But what's sort of ignored is that before this process, there's a process of exploration and experimentation. Yeah. So if you look at the great innovators, in the world throughout any um, branch industry or specialty from, from art to music to, to engineering, you'll find that most of the time, most of what they were doing did not work. Yeah. So, so to, to put that in perspective, if you uh, look at, um, uh, if you look at innovators like uh, Edison and his team, for instance, and, and look at the amount of output they've generated uh, if you compare that to the amount of experiments they've done, it, the, the experiments dwarf the output. Yeah. So you, you um, and there's this quote uh, by Edison that says it's 99% perspiration, 1% it's inspiration, right? And, and that's really uh, true. So to end up with one working light bulb, you go through thousands that do not work. So uh, that is a very challenging and frustrating process um, and it takes some getting used to it yeah so what you really need to learn to love is that phase of experimentation because if if you can't love that process and go through it 
then uh, it's going to be very frustrating and, and difficult to do. And I think that's why people are always sort of looking for shortcuts or the latest mm. magic bullet. <laughs> so there are a lot of different innovation processes. But what a lot of the good processes try to do is um, they, they will try to force you through that period of experimentation. Yeah. So you actually do the work. And um, what I find lacking, um, not just in HR, there's, there's a lot of other areas where that's the case, but a lot of times there is no willingness to experiment. Mm -hmm. So if you want to build a, a great um, uh, training product, then you have to make sure that you build hundreds of lousy ones. So you end <laughs> up with the one that, that is actually great. I, I love that. And, and that's quite a different mindset in the world of HR, um, you know, compared to to the way HR traditionally was designed and has, uh, you know, quote unquote, evolved over time. Uh, one thing that I, I, of course, Ahmed, want to would love to to discuss about is how to do all of these things in an environment that is moving so quickly. And I know AWS is a company that is always on the edge, and probably you're doing you know, millions of experiments every day. But for a more, for a slower company, if you will, how to how to think about the customer, how to develop this product manager ma management perspective, how to experiment in an environment that once again is chaotic, is volatile, is uncertain, and is moving faster than ever before. So that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> and I think one answer to it is actually making sure you change the environment. So there are a lot of reasons why uh, organizations can be slow. And a lot of times the answer is sought in a process or in a um, in an approach to to organize in a in a in a flexible, adaptive, or agile way. But that's only uh, a small part of the equation uh, because you also need the ability to actually execute and experiment quickly. So for that, if you're building training products or if you're building software, it means you need an IT environment where you can uh, self-service whatever it is you need and you can run these experiments quickly without requiring a whole lot of um, gates to pass through. Um, most organizations that are still in the process of transforming uh, typically do not have uh, environments, uh, they, not, uh, they don't have architectures where you can quickly uh, assemble an experiment. It, it takes weeks and weeks to just get started. Um, so architecture is one. The, the other, I think, element is um, something we call uh, mechanisms at uh, AWS. And um, that's going beyond your typical uh, process, but actually defining what the input and output need to look like, how that process can be yeah. improved, and also how it can be taught to other people. So if you establish uh, clear mechanisms for experimenting and for moving quickly, 
people won't be asking how to approach something or how to do something. There's going to be a flexible blueprint that they can use, but that they can also improve on. A lot of times when innovation processes or, or development processes are put in place, they're sort of fixed. Like you yeah. can't do anything about it, even if you know that the process breaks at a certain point. Um, and the and finally, I think another element to change the environment is to really change the governance. So with that, I mean um, very plainly uh, things like budgeting for experiments or um, uh, making sure that you have the, uh, the uh, oversight in place that uh, something can be run quickly or an experiment can be rolled out quickly. And, and in certain organizations, uh, simply changing your recruitment campaign, like to do some A-B testing, needs to go all the way up to the mm. CEO. Now, that's not a very efficient governance. So if you can, you need to change the environment. Now, if you can't change the environment, uh, the nice things about organizational structures and man-made environments is they always have loopholes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so a good approach could be to find those loopholes and see how you can hack the system to, to run things quickly. Because if it's not explicitly forbidden, a lot of times it's sort of okay. And uh, the, the best people I've seen navigating large organizations are the ones who were able to find those loopholes and, and navigate the political environment in order to do something, even though it wasn't, you know, ex explicitly allowed. Yeah. Um, so that's, that would be my answer to that. Um, as to the rising speed, I think what can help, um, no matter what your background is or uh, your function, is to actually learn some uh, IT foundation and IT skills. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're in HR or finance or, or some other function. And knowing more about the, the foundational technology of our age is going to give you an edge over everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fantastic, Ahmed. Thank you so much for sharing all this amazing um, information and, and insights. And my very last question to you as uh, to wrap up our conversation is, if there is one first action that you would recommend HR leaders to take in order to embrace this mindset that you have been describing, what would that first action be? The very first thing that you think they need to do? So I think the very first thing they need to do is to uh, get out of their isolation. I know a lot of times, and I've, I've worked with HR uh, uh, in my career quite, quite a lot. Um, what they need to do is to bridge the gap to the other functions and to explicitly set up an experiment. Yeah. So, so if you're in recruiting for IT or for, for the designers in your organization, Actually, actually bring them in to design an experiment with you to see, okay, what could be a better way to recruit someone or to develop someone and, and run this as, as a, as a cross-functional project. Um, I still see um, not a lot of that happening, um, yeah. though I might be wrong. I'm, I'm not an HR person, but uh, 
a lot of times these things that are then rolled out to the entire organization are sort of created in isolation. Yeah. So change I that first. Love that. Love that. Uh, that encouragement to collaborate and to co-own more these products that you want to put out there in the internal uh, company marketplace. So Ahmed, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It was a fantastic conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.